You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, This week, it is just Rachel and me. Yeah. Pretty excited. We get to go do a little bit deeper dive on some topics this week. And I am starting things off I'm excited. with the age of exploration. And in case wow. you're, you know, history is a little, uh, you know, a little, little not up to snuff there. The age of exploration was considered, considered to be the years 1500 to 1800. That, and, that's a uh, really wide of, range there, Kirk. It is. It was a long diving time. In. There's lots of... Uh, Famous names from this time, such as uh, Vasco da Gama and Magellan at the beginning and like Captain Cook near the end. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these are, you know, people have heard of some of these folks. Uh, One thing they all had to deal with uh, throughout this time period was sickness. If you are traveling to new lands, it's certainly a great way to introduce yourself to new diseases. And Uh, and unfortunately, as we know... Yes, the reverse is also true. Yeah, they brought diseases to the places they visited. Not, not great. Not great. Uh, so it might not surprise you to no. learn that a large number of the sailors on these journeys died from disease. So just two examples for you. In 1499, okay. uh, Vasco da Gama lost 116 of his crew of 170 to disease. So 116 out of 170 died from disease. And in the year 1520, what? Magellan lost lost 208 out of 230 of his crew to disease. So I was what? floored when I heard those numbers. Yeah, that's staggeringly that, that, high. That's like what, like like 90% of your, your crew? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Imagine that. Hey, right? what happened to now, Jim accord- Bob? Oh, well, the scurvy. Dead. Yeah. Now, according to scholars... Almost all of these deaths were interestingly due to just one disease. And the symptoms of this oh, disease one. progress like this. Yeah, I'm going to tell you the symptoms of this disease. Ready? First, okay. you start to feel weak. You're working long, like hard days on a ship. So perhaps you chalk it up to like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm working pretty hard out in the sun here and whatnot. Your arms get sore, but hey, you know, you've been hauling ropes and lines and setting sails. So like, again, maybe not surprising. But your legs feel right. kind of weak and sore, and you're like, "Well, maybe I'm just getting my sea legs, right?" So I've well, been you've land been standing for too long. all day, uh, and so you maybe aren't thinking much of it, right? Sure, and the ship's rocking back and forth, so you know, all right, I'm just, I'm just worn out. Exactly, and sore. you're moving your body all the time, yeah. But if you're wor- if you're using your muscles, you should be getting stronger and stronger. And instead of getting stronger and stronger with all this hard work, you continue to get weaker and weaker as the months go on. And Mm. this is partly because your red blood cells are dying. What? Now, your bones bones start to ache in your body, which is never a good thing. Don't they make the blood cells? Yeah, there you go. And that's that's the relation there. Well spotted. So your gum gum disease also sets in. 
you may start losing teeth, which is like, oh, nightmare fuel. Um, Your personality changes and your mental health deteriorates as well. Hold on. Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense, but... Yeah, you start just completely losing your mind. It makes sense that, like, your personality would change and everything, but, like, at Mm -hmm. the same time, like, what is this disease? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, your skin is not just sunburnt like your fellow sailors. It's also dry and rough feeling, and you discover that you bruise very easily. Uh, Again, probably due to the changes in your blood. Your mm. mouth always feels dry, which is especially mm-hmm. cruel at sea where fresh water may be, you know, in limited supply. Any wounds you get refuse right. to heal and you now easily get infections. Eventually, once it progresses to the very late stages, your kidneys start to shut down. Your nerves become damaged. You develop a fever either from, inf- oh. and, uh, from infections or from the disease itself. And you eventually start to, eventually start to have convulsions and die. So that progression sounds pretty what? horrifying. Now keep in mind. I mean, it didn't sound good in the first place. Yeah. Like and you feel weak. Oh my God. When you think about that, this was, this was the fate of most of the sailors yeah. on these voyages. That's just wild. Cause it sounds, you, I don't think you could pay me enough. These people went. You couldn't pay me enough. Now, this is an especially strange disease, and I'll tell you why. It is not caused by a parasite. It is not caused by a virus or a bacteria, a prion or a fluke or a tapeworm or a nematode or any of these things we've talked about what? on the show yet. Its cause is completely undetectable, even with the best microscopes, because the disease isn't caused by anything at all. Is that strange enough for you, Rachel? Is it caused by the lack of something? It is. So we're, we're so yes. used to thinking about diseases being caused caused okay. by something getting into our bodies and infecting us. We sometimes forget that disease can also be caused when something is not present. And the disease is, Rachel, what is it? There it is. <gasps> what is it, did Rachel? I Did I guess it? Is it scurvy? Are we talking it's about scurvy? scurvy. We're talking about scurvy. So what scurvy is, yeah! is... Oh, I joked about it! ...is a uh, disease scurvy. caused by the lack of vitamin <laughs> Sounds C... Sounds awful. ...in the human diet. Uh, weirdly, it's been known for centuries, and people discovered cures for it, but essentially, like, global communication wasn't a thing, right? It's really hard to disseminate right. good information, so people have had to learn about scurvy, like, over and over and over, again and again throughout human history... Uh, and often, you know, I guess always by the hard way is how they had to learn about it because they'd, they'd, they'd learn about it. And then the next oh. generations or people in another, another part of the world wouldn't have heard about it. And, you know, it, it it's bad. Mm-hmm. It's real bad. So oh. or maybe you're new to the sailing career. You come in and no, you don't listen to your fellow sailor people and be like, they don't know what they're talking about. I would maybe. Yeah. <laughs> And I could talk all about the history of scurvy and there's some like really interesting stories about like how people figured out different ways to to avoid it and whatnot. But that's not really what I want to go into. But I encourage you to like read up on some of these if you're interested. There's there's a you could do a deep dive on scurvy, uh, surprisingly. Um, So my question is more like 
one that I think a lot of people, even those who are familiar with scurvy, likely haven't thought about, and that's why does it exist at all? Now, on the face of it, this seems pretty obvious, right? We need vitamin C, if, uh, and this is a lack of vitamin right. C in your diet. So it plays a pretty critical role in multiple bodily functions. It's one of the basic vitamins we need to survive. And so if we don't have it, we don't live. Like, bingo. Like, sorted. Done, right? Clearly. But that's, that's, not, that's yeah. not quite what I'm getting at. So I'm going to switch to a different vitamin and come at it from a different perspective for a minute. Well, think about vitamin D. Now, some of our listeners know that no, I know this already, but what's really awesome about vitamin D is that our body makes it all by itself. People often dream of being right. solar powered, like, oh, I wish I could be solar powered. Well, we partially are, you guys. Like, as long as our skin is exposed to sunlight, right. our bodies make all the vitamin D we need. You don't need to ingest any vitamin D. Uh, incidentally, uh, as someone who lives in the Northland, though, <laughs> uh, we, uh-huh. we get a double whammy. Uh, not only do we not see the sun much in the winter, but it's cold. So we have to cover all of our skin. So even the skin that would be exposed, uh-huh. you know, we don't make a lot of vitamin D up here in the winter. Uh, people often end up taking like vitamin D supplements yeah. to help fight off lethargy and depression and whatnot in the winter because y- you got a vitamin D and we our bodies can't make enough. Uh, studies have also mm-hmm. shown, which is fascinating, that lighter colored skin people, so like, um, or lighter colored skin is six times more efficient at making vitamin D than dark skin. So being a pasty white Nordic person is probably an evolutionary adaptation or mutation to living in places with very little sunlight, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, my, Not a lot of sun. <laughs> a bit of a tangent there, but yeah. my point is that we can make our own vitamin D. Why can't we make our own vitamin C? Well, weirdly, it turns out most yeah. animals most animals can. Like, we're kind of freaks for not being able to do it. Why can't we? Yeah. There's just a small number of what? higher primates that have apparently lost the ability to make vitamin C that all the other animals can just naturally do. Uh we absolutely have to get the vitamin C that we need from the foods we eat. And this is, I think, a good example of how not every evolutionary mutation that gets passed along is necessarily helpful. Because to be clear, it really sucks not being able Uh to make our own vitamin C. Like that is not an advantage in the wild to not be able to make your vitamin C. We have to I never want to die like that. Right, no. Right. And luckily, you know, the, the amount that we need is not huge. So it's, it's we can get it from our environment. But uh, yeah, it'd be much easier if we could make our own. Right now, I did say the yeah, amount we completely. need is not very much. And here's a really cool twist to this story. Uh, because we can't make our own vitamin C, the human body is supercharged to reuse and recycle any vitamin C we do get. And this is sort of an adaptation Hmm. to handle the fact that we can't make our own vitamin C. So here's an example of how good humans are at recycling it and using it efficiently. Uh, A goat makes about, or sorry, yeah, makes about 200 milligrams of vitamin C per kilogram of goat per day. That's how much they need. 200 kilograms Oh, sorry, no, 200 milligrams, 200 kilograms, be crazy, 200 <laughs> milligrams say, of vitamin C lot. per kilogram of goat per day. That's their need, right? 
The human recommended dose is just one milligram per kilo. So that means that we are Whoa. 200 times more efficient with our vitamin C use than other animals, which is mind-blowing. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it'd still be better just to be able to make our own, right? But, uh, yeah. you know, it, it'd be great just to not have to worry about it at all. It'd be a lot easier to be a sailor if you just, like, stood out in the sun and you're like, yep, I'm good. You, we, we wouldn't even think about it, right? It's, the idea of scurvy would be... Mm-hmm. Some bizarre thing that just, you know, maybe some other weird animal has. I could lick an orange and be fine. Well, you wouldn't even need to. Your body literally would make its own vitamin C. You wouldn't have to ever be near any kind of plant that makes it in any way, shape, or form. You could incidentally get some, but, like, who cares? You really don't need it. I will mm-hmm. say, incidentally, since we're talking about vitamin C, I right. have to point this out. Uh, because we are so good at using it in the body, any excess is just flushed out. So all those like high vitamin C packets people buy to try to stay healthy, all they do is give you expensive urine. They do literally nothing other than make the manufacturers richer and you poorer. The whole idea that vitamin C actually helps fight off disease at all was debunked generations ago. I mean, to be clear, it'll help fight off scurvy. But this idea that it's going to like mm-hmm. support your, you know, somehow boost your immune system and like make you not get vi- respiratory viruses is totally bunk. That's been mm. thoroughly debunked. I did find a quote in a recent medical journal that said, quote, no current clinical recommendations support the possibility of significantly decreasing the risk of respiratory infections using high dose supplements of vitamin C in a well-nourished general population. So like if you're just a healthy, regular person who's not doesn't have scurvy, you're basically not a pirate, you don't need to take mm-hmm. vitamin C supplements, especially not high-dose ones that you just end up peeing out anyways. So there, there you have it. That was my topic this week. We can't make our own vitamin C like other animals, but due to some other fantastic evolutionary quirks, we really don't need very much either. We really only notice a problem when we put ourselves in situations where we have absolutely zero access to vitamin C, such as long voyages around the world on slow sailing vessels, which frankly isn't a situation <laughs> most of us will ever be in. So uh, that's it. Vitamin C in humans yeah. is its weird. It's really weird. I do have a lot of sources. It's absolutely wild. I have a lot of sources <laughs> I want to tell you about this week. Uh, for the scurvy stuff, if you mm. want to read a good book, Preserving the Self in the South Seas, 18, or 1680 to 1840 by Jonathan Lamb. Some good info in there. Um, I used a presentation on Medscape Reference by Lynn Goebel. Uh, there's a journal article, The Long History of Vitamin C, From Prevention to the, uh, to, of the Common Cold to Potential Aid in the Treatment of COVID-19 in Frontiers and Immunology. Hint, it didn't work. Um, and then How Humans Make mm. Up for an Inborn Vitamin C Deficiency, uh, which is from a journal article in Cell Press, and then some general information from Wikipedia. So whew, all over the place this week, but I thought that was a pretty yeah. pretty mind-blowing topic that I just, I had no, what I first stumbled upon this, I saw a thing online talking about how lemurs can make their own vitamin C. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'm going to talk about how lemurs make their own vitamin C. And then as I dove into it, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, wait. Like, all the animals do. It's, <laughs> Most things can. Like, like, the lemur thing was it just does. clickbait. It, we're, we're just the weirdos who can't. So, uh, And there are a couple other uh, 
closely related primates that also can't. So this this uh, mutation goes back quite a long ways, but very very cool. So still, that's what I got for you. So cool. Oh, thank you. Kirk. You are welcome. I'm Rachel. Thinking about what we're putting on the. In- oh, I'm thinking about Instagram, and I I promise that there won't be any like falling out teeth. Out teeth. I appreciate that. Uh, how about a nice looking orange or something that will. Uh, <laughs> You can eat with all your teeth that hopefully our listeners have. Mm-hmm. On that horrifying note, uh, oh. sleep well, everybody. Thinking about vitamin C deficiency and your teeth falling out tonight in your nightmares. And uh, <laughs> go have a glass of, of orange juice or something to make mm-hmm. sure that doesn't happen. We'll take a short, short break and we'll be right back with Rachel's story. I know you know this because you've heard me say it before. Strange by Nature podcast is patron powered. We keep on doing the show because of the support of our amazing patrons, members of the Society of Strange, who have joined us over at patreon.com slash strange by nature. I hope you'll consider heading over there, checking us out, and uh, maybe becoming a member. And that really supports everything you hear and helps us keep the podcast going. So thank you to all of you strange weirdos who listen. We love you. And uh, yeah. See you soon over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Welcome back, everyone. So you think that after last week, I would, uh, generally, generally speaking, I try to spread these things out um, over time. But uh, you're doing clownfish again not, or anemone again? So, what do you got? What's going on? <laughs> I'm not doing clownfish, but I am doing something in the ocean. Uh, so it's very funny that you me. covered scurvy and really not only covered scurvy, but also talked about sailing uh, today because uh, this today I was this week, I guess not just today. Okay, I'm covering. Uh, I'm covering a group of another group, at least 50 species of crit- critters. Okay. We're all really uh, aware of them. Hmm. Uh, their scientific name or their the genus of it is hippocampus. That's right. The seahorse. Oh, yes. Hippocampus. Gosh, you the know what? Seahorse. Rachel, <laughs> I have had seahorses. Uh, well, actually, I have. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. I have a relative of seahorses on my list to talk about. Ooh. Uh, so Excellent. perhaps if you do not address them this week, that is going to have to bump up my topic. And I will talk about it if you don't. This mm. so I, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this Ooh. with the rest of our listeners and see what sort of winding road <laughs> you take us down. And that will determine what I talk about next week. <laughs> Fabulous. I think I know the relative that you are... Uh, speaking of, yeah. So I I will say I'm not I'm not touching on that one. I'm just talking about seahorse the general legit uh, seahorses cool. about seahorses. All right. Oh, exactly. I'm just talking about generic seahorses, yeah. um, mainly because there's a lot of little wild things, and there's definitely some species that deserve their own episode. Um, like everywhere from like the pygmy uh, seahorse, mm-hmm. which is so small, um, to there's a species of uh, seahorse. 
hilariously, it lives in Australia. Of course. Uh, that is uh, 14 inches. So the pygmy seahorse is half an inch. And then the largest seahorse is 14 inches. Whoa. Which 14. to me is too big. I did not. 14 inches. Have and that's any like idea they got that big. From head to curve of tail. That is too You're big. You're talking <laughs> if they were like stretched out though, or like in their normal non stretchy state? Because if, if 14 inches with the tail curled up, or 14 inches if you like uncurl the tail and measure the whole thing? It's 14 inches with the tail curled up. Wow. Wow, that's bigger than a vinyl record. I am impressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. I don't like it. <laughs> but so hippo it's it's great and it's not. So hippocampus, you were kind of uh hemming and hawing at the beginning there. You've probably heard about it, Kirk, because I know you're a nerd. Uh that generally comes from the ancient yeah. Greek. Um, there was an ancient creature called the hippocampus and it was a sea monster. It was a type of sea animal. It was a animal that had the head of a horse <laughs> and the body of like, a of a fish. Sea horse. Yeah. I mean, so, and, and I, I will say horses, when you said hippocampus, you I was actually know. thinking of the, the <laughs> section of the, the brain called yeah. the hippocampus as well. Ooh. That is that is fair. I don't know how I forgot about that, but I did. Well, your hippocampus wasn't working apparently. <laughs> uh, so seahorses are. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. Almost never. <laughs> so they're a type of sure. uh, pipe fish. They're in the pipe fish family, uh, but they're mostly characterized by having a long snout. Their head is shaped similarly to what we know as, I guess, land okay, horses yeah. is the phrase we're going to go with. Uh, they have like a big noggin with a long snout and they curve down and then they have a long tail that generally wraps around something. Generally, it's like it can be other seahorses. It can be... Uh, generally, it's sure, going to be yeah. something a little more sturdy, like a, a sea grass of some sort. Um, but not always. Maybe it could be coral reefs or mangroves. They really like to be in uh, places where they can anchor onto somewhere. A notable lack, however, yep. of in that description of Kinda fins strange. <laughs> for a fish. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit strange. So they have one fin in their in the back. Uh, it is their dorsal fin, and that is pretty much their only fin. That's it. Um, it does mean that they're not especially fast. They they cannot swim quickly at all. But because of that dorsal fin, even though it is very fragile and doesn't necessarily do much with locomotion it does allow them to be pretty decently agile they're one of they're able yeah, to go amazing. up down side to side and backwards which is wild i feel like i i don't generally see fish swimming backwards it's not really something that a lot of fish are able to do in the first place it's not something like I mean hummingbirds, birds can go backwards, can really do but either. Backwards flight um, is a which very I don't, rare. It, yeah. it feels like an equation. Yeah. 
Exactly. And I, I feel like that's like a similar equating of media, sort of. Like, wings for air, fins for water. Similar-ish, I suppose. Eh. Anyway. So, you would think that with seahorses being so terrible at, uh, generally at swimming, and even though they're agile, mm-hmm. it's like, well, then... Uh, who cares, yeah. right? They, they're agile, but that doesn't help anything. So seahorses, generally speaking, they eat like they eat brine f- shrimp. So they are looking for the small zooplankton as well as just like they're kind of filter feeders. But that doesn't mean that they can't eat. Huh. Um they don't have teeth. They really don't have a stomach. Yeah, yeah. But because of how their snout is, they're able to like slurp up and suck in uh, up to 3,000 crustaceans in a single day. That's a lot. That is a lot. And that can happen from as much as like three centimeters away. So that's a lot of like copepods. That's a lot of little brine shrimp, whatever they can catch. That's a lot of little stuff, yeah. It's a lot of little wow. things. So they're like pretty much constantly eating because... So they're like little vacuum cleaners, going, little horse <laughs> vacuum, horsey vacuum they're, cleaners. They're horse vacuum cleaners. That is what they are. Excellent. Excellent. But it, it happens because they really don't have a stomach or anything like that. So just lots of huh. wild things. So they're just like taking taking that stuff like directly into a digestive tract that doesn't include like an actual yeah. stomach. Is that what's going on? That is exactly cool. what's happening. So pretty much they're getting all their food as quickly as possible and then digesting it pretty much immediately. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Now, another reason, one thing that most people think about when uh, they think about seahorses um, is their reproduction. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about them today. So seahorses, as most people probably already know, they, uh, the males are the ones that actually carry the babies. So they do start off in the female but once uh the eggs get fertilized what will happen is they actually they do a very complex like courting dance and then the female Mm -hmm. what happens is the female places her eggs in to the male's body so an oviduct in the male's body and then once that happens then the um, male will fertilize those eggs and then find a little spot and he will rest there for the duration of the um the duration of the pregnancy pretty much wow that's cool i didn't realize they were so like not moving around yeah um what is the duration then of the ge- the gestation it can be weeks Depending on the species. So it's not short. (laughs) Which is fine because generally speaking, they're in spots where there's a lot of movement 
in the water itself. Sure, so that'll sure. bring food so over. There's lots of food sources coming past them and they're just like almost like filter feeding kind of. Exactly. So after that time is done, um, the male seahorse will actually will actually experience contractions, which and <laughs> oh wow okay, and will expel uh, the young out of the pouch. So it's kind of like a kangaroo if like the babies were being born out of a male and they're in this little pouch, mm-hmm. and at the end when they were done the mother like jerked and the baby came flying out of the pouch. That's kind of what's right, happening yeah. with the seahorse. I've heard the whole like marsupial kangaroo comparison made uh, many times before with the, the seahorses. And here's the thing. It can be as little as like five babies. And um, they're called fry because they're, okay. they're fish, but it can be as many as 1000 sure. babies. What? Which that's is, quite a range, Rachel. That is a very large range. Uh, Imagine trying to shop for the nursery. If you're like, well, oh, it's going to be somewhere between five and a, and a thousand? thousand babies coming. Hmm. Um, I wonder what so will we plan do accordingly. We're going to need a large Yikes. house, maybe a barn that will re- retrofit. A we'll see. Barn. Yeah, Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. <laughs> Rachel's thoughts on child rearing. <laughs> well, yeah, you put them in a barn. Like, well, if you're having a thousand babies, nice. You Rachel. retrofit nice. a barn for a house. Oh, you retrofit it. You don't just fill it with hay and throw them in there. Okay. Right. You retrofit the horse, okay, the, ha- the uh, barn you buy, into buy a house. Buy a dairy barn and make a lot of rooms. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Exactly. Fair enough. I think it's called a hotel at that point, but yeah. Oh, right. Um, now here's the thing in some species, it can, the female can deposit up to 1500 eggs. Um, I did, I did find the number in oh, my notes. Man. Um, and the male will carry them for anywhere from nine to 45 days. Okay. Which is nuts. <laughs> and then That's what'll sad. happen is once the male has those contractions and the babies are forcibly evicted from the brooding pouch, uh, yep. They're on their own. That's it. Oh, okay. They're done. Uh, out into the world. Out into the big wide world. And then the male will go and mate again. So quite literally, it can happen anywhere within hours or days of having oh, given man. birth. <laughs> Woo. Which is wild. No rest for the weary. Apparently. Wow. Sounds a little a- exhausting. So, like, that's what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, I just wanted to talk about seahorses because somehow it's been 123 episodes and we have not talked about seahorses yet. And I know that there are definitely... Yeah, and I got to decide now. Oh, You yeah? did not talk about their cool cousin. So I did not. I, I did not. If there's an... I guess see if there's enough there there to uh, make an episode out of it. But I'll do a little research this, this week and we'll... Uh, Maybe yeah. I'll maybe I'll surprise you next week with a little uh, extended seahorsey bonus. Ooh, that'd be fun. I mean, I definitely there were things that I didn't cover that I didn't feel that we had time for today. So there's more to come when it comes to a seahorse. Yeah, there certainly is. There's also more to come for Strange by Nature podcast oh. next week. Victoria will yeah. be back. 
Yay! Yay! And we will have an, another uh, full house episode. Not an episode of Full House, you understand, but a, a full house here to discuss all the strange nature that uh, you all love so much. Thanks so much, yeah. you guys. It means so yeah. much to us to have you all here as listeners. We've got tons of new listeners joining each week. So to mm-hmm. all you who are new, thank you for being here. Thanks for sticking around. Please do, you know, Go let us know what you think about the show. And uh, tell your friends. Yep. And uh, we'll see everybody here same same time, same channel next week. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.